From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Happy New Year, almost. Welcome to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. If you'd like to be on the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-EWTN. 3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1 205 271 2985. I want to hear from somebody that has already experienced 2020. Somebody from Australia or somewhere, give us a call. Let us know that 2020 has safely arrived. We would love to speak with you. That number is 1 205 271 2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com, or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, the lovely and talented Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Ryan Penny and Jeff Burson handling our social media endeavors. So if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, um, you can t- type a question into that text window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, Talking Faith, Family, and Fellowship, as he does every Tuesday, our very own Father of Mercy, Father Wade Benizas. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Thank you, and Happy New Year to all the staff there at EWTN. And uh, a big soiree planned from your confreres there at, uh, in uh, Auburn, Kentucky tonight? Yes, in in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It's a custom we have here in house <laughs> every year, it. and then we have a, we have a little get together after the end of that. Those two holy hours that are side by side. We do two hours of Eucharistic adoration, and then so uh, the two hours leading up to midnight, or an hour before and an hour after. Uh, it goes from uh, eight to ten. Oh, eight to ten. So neither. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Really? Well, we got a big day tomorrow with Mary, Mother of God, and, and two professions being made. Uh, one of our novices is making his first profession, oh. and another brother is advancing in his vows. Not not quite final vows yet, but he's advancing uh, to another stage of his vows. So uh, we have a big a big liturgical day tomorrow, so we got ex- to wrap things up before midnight. How exciting is that for the community? It is. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic uh, to see the men advance from postulancy to novitiate to brotherhood, and then finally to final vows and the diaconate and priesthood. It's, it's very special for the family of consecrated religious. It's just a wonderful experience. And you see them grow in the faith, mature in the faith, uh, mature and grow as well in their manhood. Uh, it's just wonderful to see. And our formators are to be greatly, greatly commended. Our, our postulant and novice master, our student master, our superior general for overseeing the, the formation of the men. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. For a lot of people in the United States, it's New Year's Eve. Uh, They have uh, much merrymaking and frivolity on their minds. But uh, for Holy Mother Church, as soon as the sun goes down, it's the solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God. 
That's right. It's inaugurated with Vespers 1, prayed on the night before as a vigil. And uh, I love this, this great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. Uh, it's one of the holy days of obligation here in the United States and, and universally for the most part as well. And uh, we bring in the new secular year with the Blessed Mother, the Mother of God, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, huh? And so I like to tell my listeners, let, let's make our New Year's resolutions uh, with Mary, especially in four primary categories, her prayerfulness, her fidelity, her energy, and her sinlessness. These are four ways that we can let Mary lead the way in our New Year's resolutions that we make. Uh, First of all, Mary's prayerfulness. Again, tomorrow we celebrate the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, inaugurated tonight with Vespers 1, uh, a title proclaimed dogmatically by the Council of Ephesus in 431, huh? Fifth century. Uh, Mary derives this title from her divine maternity as the mother of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God-man. He is a divine person, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, with two natures, human and divine. Jesus is God incarnate, and Mary is his mother. She is the God-bearer, again, the Theotokos. Uh, Mary's prayerfulness is linked with her divine maternity. Lumen Gentium, the Second Vatican Council's dogmatic constitution on the church, states that after her son's ascension, 40 days after his resurrection from the dead, Mary aided the beginnings of the church by her prayers. And in her association with the apostles and other holy women, we also see Mary by her prayers imploring the gift of the Holy Spirit, who had already overshadowed her, at the time of the Annunciation with the Archangel Gabriel, which we celebrate every year on March 25th, nine months before Christmas Day. Uh, Mary's fidelity, the second area. Uh, To discuss Mary's fidelity is to discuss Mary's faith. The word fidelity is derived from the Latin fides, meaning faith, or fidelis, uh, meaning faithful. Uh, Mary was a woman of great faith, no doubt. She was alone at prayer, for example, when the Archangel Gabriel appeared to her at the Annunciation, the time of our Lord's sacred incarnation, and yet she remained steadfast in her faith. She kept going forward. Christians should remind themselves that only a strong faith can embrace fully the mysterious ways of God's almighty power, and that such faith glories in human weakness in order to draw to itself the power of Christ, alluding there to 2 Corinthians 12 and Philippians. 4. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 273, the Virgin Mary is the supreme model of this faith, for she believed that nothing will be impossible with God, and was able to magnify the Lord, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary's fidelity is rooted in the fact that she constantly united her will to the will of God, This truth is witnessed to during the more tumultuous times of Christ's own life. For example, Mary saw the will of God in the person of Caesar Augustus, who made her travel to Bethlehem with St. Joseph during her pregnancy for the census. Mary saw the will of God in the person of Herod, who made her flee to Egypt with St. Joseph and the Christ child. She saw the will of God in the person of Pontius Pilate, who condemned her son to death. And she saw the will of God in the executioners and soldiers who crucified her son. Thirdly, Mary's energy. Mary's energy is given witness to in her apostolic zeal and fervor, which is made very evident immediately following the Annunciation, when she, quote, proceeds in haste, proceeds in haste through the hill country to a town of Judah to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with St. John the Baptist. Although hidden, Mary also remains active in following her son throughout his public life, 
She intercedes for the newly wedded couple at Cana, Jesus' first public miracle, and is referred to by Jesus as one who is faithful to his teachings beyond the ties of mere blood relations, alluding, of course, to Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 8. Mary's energy may be said to be most active even today as she stands as intercessor before God through the chief mediation of her Son before the Father. Lumen Gentium, again from Vatican II, the dogmatic constitution on the Church, states that by Mary's manifold intercession made possible only through the merits of her Son, the God-man, the chief mediator before the Father, Mary continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation and is therefore invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and mediatrix, like any good mother would be, huh? I asked my mother to pray for me, let's say, for a job, a job interview I'm going to have, let's say. Hey, mom, say a prayer for me, huh? Uh, No different from that. And Mary's sinlessness is the next area here. Uh, Mary's sinlessness, like her intercession, is tied to the merits of her divine son. This is a doctrine that all persons should find great comfort in. In 1854, Pope Pius IX solemnly defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which stated that the most blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instant of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin. And according to this doctrine, Mary was conceived in the state of perfect justice, just as Adam and Eve were created free from original sin and all of its consequences and penalties, in virtue of the redemption won by Jesus Christ on the cross. Mary, like us, needed to be redeemed, huh? No doubt. Mary needed to be redeemed, but whereby the rest of humanity benefits from the cross after the cross takes place historically. It may be said that Mary benefited from the cross before the cross took place. And here's the clincher right here regarding Mary's sinlessness, the fourth area, Jack. For the rest of humanity that is conceived in original sin, each one must remember that the salvation God willed for Mary is the same salvation he wills for each one of us. Heaven for all eternity, the beatific vision united to the triune Godhead for all eternity. So as we begin a new year on this great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, We are reminded to place God first in our lives, just like Mary did, through her prayerfulness, her fidelity, her energy, and her sinlessness. We must give God the glory, as do the faith-filled shepherds when he is born. God watches over us and cares for us in our earthly needs by giving us the strength to endure bravely whatever may come our way. And as baptized Christians, we must believe this wonderful truth and look to Mary, God's own mother, as our model of Christian maturity. Amen. Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. 833-288-3986 is our toll-free number. Open line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, during the Christmas season, a lot of people's faith is bolstered and renewed, and I suggest you fan that flame while it's burning. 
pour a little kerosene on that holy fire. And one good way to do that is to avail yourself of some of the great holy reminders that Mother Angelica set up at EWTN's religious catalog. A great example is uh, Mary and the Saints 2020 wall calendar. Beautiful Marian artwork for every month. Big 12 by 12 size allows you a chance to write in personal notes and and uh, and and reminders on the calendar. Still free standard shipping on all online orders of $75 or more. Use the code FREE at checkout. Standard shipping, continental United States only. Every purchase that you make at EWTNRC.com directly supports EWTN and Mother Angelica's mission. So take advantage of that today. EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Barb's going to start us off today in Lake Martin, Illinois. First-time caller listening on WSFI 88.5 FM in Antioch, Illinois. Barb, Merry Christmas. You're on with Father Wade. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Um, I uh, Just briefly, I'm 83 years old. And I, a year ago, almost to the date, I, uh, after 60 years being away from the church, I came back, and I've been receiving uh, in-home uh, communion and uh, confession <clears throat> uh, once a month. Father comes to my house. So with that in mind, I am confused as to I want, I'm on a devotional uh, thing of my own. But I, I want to get back into reading Scripture. I never read the American Bible. And my arsenal is a new American Bible and also uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, second edition. And it's the St. Joe edition on the American Bible. Where would you suggest I start? Well, Barb, first of all, let me thank you for coming back to the Catholic faith in the practice of your Catholic faith, and what a beautiful thing that you're able to receive the Eucharist regularly, even though you're homebound. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and you sound like you are, have reignited your, your, your being a great student of the faith, a, a great daughter of the Church, and I want to commend you and thank you. Don't let that fire go out. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and you are no doubt uh, being fed by the wonderful gift of the Eucharist to further ignite that faith and to want to draw closer to the divine Word of God. Barb, I'll tell you exactly where to go, and do not be intimidated by it. It's one of the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council, the document that is specifically on sacred scripture, on the Bible per se. It's called Dei Verbum, Latin for Word of God. And it's not a large document. It's one of the smaller documents of the Second Vatican Council's 16 documents. So that is where I would start if I were you, because you learn immediately about the sacred authors and how they were inspired by the Holy Spirit as the human element to write the book, but God is the primary author of sacred scripture. The canon is discussed, okay, the the, the official canon of both the Old and New Testament together. Um, uh, the 46 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament. Um, so, you learn everything about what we believe as Catholic Christians about sacred scripture, about the Bible per se, in the Second Vatican II document titled Dei Verbum, Word of God, capital D-E-I, capital V as in Victor, E-R, B as in boy, U-M 
as in Mary. Again, Latin for word of God, Dei Verbum. Now that said, about Scripture itself, the Bible itself, remember that there's some wonderful texts out there that have been written about specific aspects of the Bible. Okay, Barb, I want you to know this. For example, um, you can get 100 Surprising Facts About the Bible by Rick Rotondi from EWTN Religious Catalog, 100 Surprising Facts About the Bible, uh, Proving That the Catholic Faith is Biblical, From Priestly Celibacy to the Rosary by Dave Armstrong, a great apologist of the Church, uh, regarding spiritual warfare and the Bible, the specific topic of spiritual warfare. Tan Books and Publishers puts out a text titled The Spiritual Warfare Bible, drawing upon specifically those texts that have to do with spiritual warfare. Um, there's a, a book that's written more for the family that still has children in the home. It's titled Read the Bible Like Your Favorite Book, The Books of the Bible, Lexio Divina for the Family, Divine Reading for the Family, and How to Break Up uh, the Biblical Readings with the Different Members of the Family, especially on, on particular high feast days of the Church, um, How to Live a Good Life Following Specifically New Testament Ethics, as taught by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament epistles like St. Peter and St. Paul, so How to Live a Good Life Following Specifically New Testament Ethics. Uh, so that's another text. So there's not only Dei Verbum about, about the Bible itself and the canon and what we believe about the Bible in regards to the, the, the human author as the secondary uh, instrument, inspired instrument, and God as the primary author, etc., and the, the rich heritage of sacred Scripture going back to the Old Testament, but also these different aspects of the Bible itself. Also, just a couple more I want to share with you, because I, I think this is important, especially if people are thinking about reading more about Scripture and reading more Scripture itself as a New Year's revol resolution for 2020. Um, we have... Um, Clueless in Galilee by Mac Barron. Clueless in Galilee, a fresh take on the four Gospels. That sounds like an interesting one. I have not yet read that nor taken excerpts from it, but I know it's quite popular in Catholic uh, catalogs. Uh, the Biblical Names of Jesus, Beautiful, Powerful Portraits of Christ from Scripture by Paul Thigpen. A uh, Hundred Surprising Facts About the Bible, which is the one I mentioned earlier again by Rick Rotondi. Uh, How to Read the Bible by Abbe Roger Pullman. How to Read the Bible. Uh, there, there's many ways you can read the Bible. Hopefully each way will always have a little bit of quiet meditation time. Uh, so hopefully, Barb, that gets you going, but I would definitely, definitely begin with Dei Verbum, which you can actually print offline from the Vatican website, or you can actually order it in booklet form, uh, I'm sure from EWTN Religious Catalog, or directly directly from the Daughters of St. Paul, who publish, who are the publishers of it in booklet form. Uh, I hope that helps you out, Barb. Thank you so much for your call. And you know, Barb mentioned that she's using the New American Bible as uh, her translation. Talk a little bit about the various translations and, and how one should view choosing one. Well, I would definitely choose a Catholic version of the Bible because it has the fullness of the canon of Scripture dating back to 397 A.D. at the Council of Carthage, okay, when it was definitively defined. Uh, so I would definitely choose the Catholic version with all of the, of the, of the 73 books. Uh, again, 46 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Uh, there's different versions out there, exactly, and there's many, many good ones. You may want one without a commentary, just for the sake of reading the passages themselves, but you may want one 
one with commentary. You may want to see the Latin in, in, the, in the opposite page to see how the, the language is locked in from the original Greek and Hebrew, how Latin locked it in with the Latin Vulgate translation, which was done by St. Jerome, okay, and completed in Bethlehem, uh, where he finished his, his scriptural translations. So, for example, the, the New American Bible has a very good commentary, I think, especially the most recent edition of the New American Bible, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, that's R-S-V-C-E, also has a very good commentary attached to it. That one you can get, I know, from Ignatius Press, and I'm, I know also for a fact that EWTN carries it, because I've seen it in the gift shop on campus there at EWTN <laughs> Network. Um, also, one of my personal favorites for homiletic purposes is the Navarre Bible, put out by Opus Dei uh, through the University of Navarre. And I love that one because on the opposite page, you have the Latin Vulgate translation, and you can see the words themselves from the original Hebrew and, and Greek. Uh, and it's just a wonderful thing to see the work of St. Jerome and, and how the, those words were locked in so that they cannot be manipulated, they cannot be misinterpreted. Uh, and, and so that's a great thing, too. So again, the RSVCE, the New American Bible, the most recent edition of it has a, has a nice commentary, uh, and also the Navarre Bible, those are just some examples. Um, you may want to get a pocket size edition that has a very brief one-sentence commentary on the different passages, something that fits neatly in your purse, Barb, we could say. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of options out there, but you want to stick to a Catholic translation. Next up is Scott in Richmond, Virginia, listening to EWTN on Sirius XM Channel 130. Merry Christmas, Scott. You're on with Father Wade. Hey, Merry Christmas, y'all. Um, Thank you, so Scott. I guess my question is a little convoluted. I'm going to try my best to describe it. But basically, so the Church obviously doesn't recognize transgenderism at all, um, at least as, as a legitimate way of uh, you know, reconciling what's known as gender dysphoria. The, 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 the position that I've been presented with at work is if a man who is supposedly transitioning into a, a woman comes up to me and says I have to call him by a female name or she, I have to do that, I said, I can't do that in good conscience. They said, well, then just don't, don't just address them using either just you or other neutral type things. Does this constitute a sin of omission, and I'm putting my own soul on the line, or is this actually something that could be considered an acceptable social practice? Because I'm not really afraid to do the former of those two, but I also, you know, I understand blessed are the peacemakers, and I don't know how else to put that. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting uh, conundrum because we want to respect whatever the, the state law is. You want to respect the, the decorum and practice in your um, workplace, but at the same time, you do not want to uh, give in to falsehoods. You don't want to give in to sin. You don't want to give in to uh, uh, anything that is, that goes against reason, and surely nothing that goes against conscience. So you you bring up a great a great question. Um, I I'm a big believer in conscientious objecting. Uh, that in conscience you you just simply can't. Uh, you you see faith and reason as totally harmonious, and I, I would I would talk to your to your employer directly. The actual employer is what I would do, and see what the parameters are for that. Um, uh, you should not be expected to 
cave in on your faith and what the church teaches about the dignity of the human person and male and female he made them. Uh, in his own image and likeness he made them, we're told in the book of Genesis, and that's a very powerful, powerful teaching. You know, it, it's interesting, I was thinking about this just last week, um, you know, the movement of rationalism uh, uh, in the 16th century didn't want the authority of the church. Um, and and now we're looking to human reason to get back to the teachings of the church. <laughs> it, it's 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 really the workings of of the one who is the father of all lies. Who who you know the the word devil or or diaboline in the Greek means literally to tear apart or or to turn upside down is another interpretation. And and we see that in all this confusion regarding the dignity of the human person. Um, I would say that in conscience would be your first argument to defend that conscience and to do everything in your power, Scott, to live by the dictates of your Catholic faith regarding the teachings of the dignity of the human person, and to exhaust those means, and to exhaust those means by talking directly to your employer, not to an on-site um, a psychologist that's been hired to aid the employees, but you go to your employer directly and talk to them. 833-288-3986 is our toll-free number here on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Gavin in Travers Rest, South Carolina, Maryland, and Omaha, Nebraska. And we've got plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father Wade, we talked about the feast, the solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God, coming up tomorrow here in the United States and many places around the world. And I have an, uh, an email here from Kobe that I want to read to you. It says, I listened to you early in the morning while walking at the gym on podcast, uh, so I really don't have the opportunity to call in. I am still pretty new to the faith, came into the church Easter Vigil 2017, was actually baptized Catholic at birth, but due to life circumstances, did not know this until 59 years later during RCIA. Um, I will say that I have been searching for a really long time and have been a member of several denominations, but for some reason or another, something would go wrong and a red flag would slap me in the face. Uh, I do know that I needed most of those steps in my spiritual growth, uh, but also know with certainty that I am finally home. With that said, I still do struggle with a couple of things. My one question for today is about holy days of obligation. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the idea of it being a mortal sin if one does not attend a Sunday Mass. I left the Seventh-day Adventist Church because I just can't believe that anyone not attending church on Saturday is going to hell, which they teach. So now I'm having a problem with the Sunday thing here. And now the holy days of obligation. I was wondering where in the Bible does it reference these various holy days, and if one skips one or two, will they be committing a mortal sin? Uh, and that and that's really the gist of it. It goes on a little bit longer sure. than that. But that's Cody, who's uh, you know got a sincere question that's bothering his conscience. Sure. Well. We have to understand that, first of all, every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, and then we have other holy days 
of obligation that fall throughout the year that may or may not fall on a Sunday. For example, tomorrow's great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, on January 1st of every year that kicks off the new secular year, is the eighth day, that is the octave day of Christmas. And we celebrate the Christmas octave as one of the the main two octaves in the entire liturgical year. Uh, Easter is the other one. So Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and, and because it is the first day, the day of Christ's resurrection, uh, it recalls the first creation, because it is the eighth day following the Sabbath. It symbolizes the new creation ushered in by Christ's resurrection. And so for Christians, it has become the first of all days, the first of all feasts, the Lord's Day, Sunday. And it's tied directly to uh, the commandment, uh, the third commandment, that we must remember to keep holy the Lord's day. So that's the scriptural reference, and it's also tied, I might add, um, to the first commandment, that I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me, because whatever's keeping you from attending Mass on a holy day of obligation, uh, after you've exhausted all sincere efforts to still go, uh, of course, it, you, th- there could be a reason why you can't go, like illness, for example, or work that you just cannot absolutely get get around of, but even then you're still bound to read the scripture readings of the day, um, to enter into those liturgical readings. Um, you do have a strange God before you if you're letting something on a regular basis prevent you from fulfilling this obligation to go to Mass on a holy day, whether it be a Sunday or another holy day of obligation. Um, And so, like, Christmas Day is another holy day of obligation. It may or may not fall on a Sunday. It fell on a Wednesday this year. Mary, Mother of God, is going to fall on a Wednesday this year as well. These are holy days. They're tied to the third and first commandment. Um, Where are they in the Bible? Holy Mother Church is the Bride of Christ through sacred scripture, like these two commandments from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, through her uh, sacred tradition, and through her magisterial authority, her teaching office, has the right and the ability as the Bride of Christ to institute disciplinary uh, laws to fulfill. So, for example, we have five such laws that are disciplinary precept laws. Uh, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and on holy days of obligation and rest from unnecessary servile labor. Number two, you shall confess your sins at least once a year. Number three, you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. Number four, you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the Church. Number five, you shall help to provide for the needs of the Church. So these are the five precepts laws imposed by her own authority through the magisterium, but they are based on Scripture and tradition, the oral tradition and or the written tradition of Scripture. So uh, the Church has the, uh, uh, the authority, the right, and the ability to impose these five precept laws. Now, notice that when one fulfills the five precept laws, of which the Holy Days of Obligation is traditionally the first one listed, again, you shall attend Mass on Sundays and on Holy Days of Obligation, uh, and rest from unnecessary servile labor. Notice that when all five of these precept laws uh, imposed by the Church are fulfilled, they automatically ensure that one is practicing at least minimally their Catholic faith, at least minimally. And Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ being just that, a good and holy mother, wants to ensure that her children are practicing at least minimally the Catholic faith, just like any natural physical mother would want to ensure that her children are at least uh, practicing um, the faith at least minimally. Uh, in In the section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2174, 
through number one twenty uh, number twenty one eighty eight twenty one seventy four through twenty one eighty eight we have a section titled the lord 's Day and also it covers holy days of obligation. Some of the headings under that section are the day of the resurrection, Sunday, the new creation, Sunday fulfillment of the Sabbath, uh, the Sunday Eucharist and its celebration, uh, the Sunday obligation uh, it 's obligatory not because we fear God but because we love him. And also, it's a day of grace from rest from work, huh? And so these are all goods. These are all great goods. My goodness, we get to receive the Eucharist on holy days of obligation. For example, just on Sundays, and again, every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. I would ask rhetorically, why would you not want to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ? Why would you want something to usurp that? Um Again, we have to think of obligation as, as out of love and not out of fear. Um, St. Saint, Saint, uh, Francis de Sales has, gives us a beautiful quote. He says, uh, we fear God out of love. We don't love him out of fear. So obligation has everything to do with love and not fear, huh? a filial fear of God and not a servile fear of God. But I would definitely uh, recommend that um, you go to that section of the Catechism, and num- in other words, uh, again, to, to list again, number 2174, all the way through 2188, that's just a few passages, what is that, 14 passages, um, to help you understand the Holy Day of Obligation teaching of the Church, especially since you're a convert to the faith, and I congratulate you on that, and a fairly recent convert. It could be very easily that you did not go over this in more detail during your RCIA formation, um, but, you know, to observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy uh, is an important reality of one's spiritual life, just living a strong spiritual life, huh? And again, the Sabbath, which represented the completion of the first creation on the seventh day, has been replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation, the eighth day, inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ, huh? Uh, the Church celebrates the day of Christ's resurrection on the eighth day, Sunday, which is rightly called the Lord's Day. Sunday is to be observed as the foremost holy day of obligation above all others, Um, in the universal church, and on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. Even if you don't receive the Eucharist, say, because you're knowledgeable of a mortal sin, that mortal sin doesn't excuse you from your Mass obligation. It excuses you from receiving communion until you can go to confession and confess that mortal sin, but it doesn't excuse you from fulfilling your obligation of Mass on Sundays and holy days, like Christmas and Mary, Mother of God, on January 1st. Um, On Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to abstain from those unnecessary labors and business concerns which impede the worship to be rendered to God. Uh, Also, uh, we we want the joy which is proper to the Lord's Day to be part of our life, so rest and relaxation, uh, worship. Um, and the relaxation of both mind and body, the Church teaches. So Sundays and Holy Days is about rest from unnecessary servile labor. It's about uh, worship. It's about rest and relaxation and renewal. These are all great goods. This is precisely why the Church makes such days obligatory out of love rather than fear. These obligatory points and and why Sundays and Holy Days are called uh, uh, Holy Days of Obligation are all geared towards the betterment of the person and not his detriment. 
And so when I am, am sometimes even in person at a parish mission or on the plane, if I'm traveling, uh, uh, why is Sunday obligatory? Well, it, because it's geared towards many, many goods in your life. And your question almost intimates that it's a negative to be obligatory, which is a negation of all the goods that the Church places before us, uh, the, the rest from unnecessary servile labor, uh, the rest and relaxation, the worship in sacred congregation, etc. Uh, we're social by nature. We're called to worship God communally in sacred congregation. It is not good that man be alone, the book of Genesis tells us. Uh, Jesus gives us the Our Father prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in the first person plural, give us this day our daily bread. So uh, we're social by nature, huh? We need the other to live life fully, uh, the other person, the, the, the other. We live in community. Our personalities are expressed in community. Um, it's interesting that St. Narcissism and the Hermitage movement would not let his hermit monks go live in isolation out in the desert unless they could first prove what? That they could live in love in community with their fellow brothers in religious life. So that's an important point. And so we want to we worship on these holy days of obligation, not privately, but communally in sacred congregation and offer divine worship in sacred congregation. So great question, and thank you so much for asking. It's, it's a teachable moment. We had not a Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Gavin is in South Carolina, a first-time caller, watching us on YouTube. Gavin, thanks so much for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Howdy. Sorry if I'm a little nervous, but um, I'm 15, uh, and I just I found your stream sort of by accident, just looking for uh, open line shows. But um, I just wanted to know, like, what's the difference between Catholic like beliefs or whatever, and like Protestants? Okay, great, great question, Gavin. Thank you so much. The, the basic or most fundamental differences between Catholicism and, and Protestantism. Um, first of all, we, we could look at seven primary areas, and I'll just go through them quickly here. Number one, the understanding of sacred Scripture, the understanding of the Bible, where Protestantism sees the Bible uh, leading to faith as sola scriptura, Scripture alone. Uh, the Catholic Church does not see itself only as a religion of the book. The Catholic Church takes into account sacred scripture, the Bible, uh, sacred tradition, like the oral traditions handed on that gave us the Bible, and also the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church, which, for example, tells us which books are in the Bible and which ones are not. So we are a faith, as Catholics, of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church. We need tradition in the magisterium to understand to the interpretations of the scriptural text, to say which texts are part of Scripture and which ones are not. For example, like all the pseudo-gospels that are out there, or the apocryphal books that are out there that didn't make it into the canon of the 73 books that are of the books that make up the official canon, which again, that canon comes to us from the Council of Carthage back in 397 AD. Um, Luther uh, espoused sola scriptura, scripture alone, and that was in the 1500s. Uh, a second uh, difference would be, uh, Gavin, the understanding of the Church. Uh, Catholics and Protestants have a different view on the nature of the Church. The word Catholic literally means universal. It can also mean all-embracing. The Catholic Church sees itself as, as the one true Church worldwide under the leadership of the successor of St. Peter, 
whom Christ gave the authority to from his ascension Thursday, 40 days after his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday morning till he comes again at the second coming, the church is the bride of Christ through the leadership of the successor of Peter, the Roman pontiff, the Pope, leads the church. Uh, and everything that it means to be the church, capital C, subsists in the Catholic Church, we believe as Catholics. But in contrast, Protestant churches, which have uh, emerged since the Reformation, uh, come from either the mainline Protestantism faiths like like Methodism, Methodism or Bap- the Baptists or Presbyterianism or the Evangelical branch. Um, they do not make up a united church. Uh, they are rather there's rather several. several Thousands. Some some experts say as many as thirty plus thousand different denominations. The last I heard was about thirty two thousand five hundred different denominations. So the understanding of what constitutes the church, where the church's four marks in the Catholic Church, she is one holy Catholic, meaning universal and apostolic. And and the holy, the second mark there of the four marks, holy refers to her as a divine institution. She cannot err in faith or morals, and her members are surely called to be holy. But her human membership can err, and we see that, for example, in the church scandals. Huh? Number three follow, follows from that, the three, third of the seven areas, uh, the, the leadership of the Pope. Protestants are not open to a papal primacy, but Catholics are. Huh? Um, Catholics see the Pope as the successor of the Apostle Peter, the first head of the church, who was appointed by Jesus. Um, uh, and the, the papal office is justified by an unbroken chain of succession and consecration, uh, in the office of Peter, ranging from the first century to the present time, in, in 2020 now. Uh, understanding that office as a continuous chain is another area, and this, this leads us to this whole argument of, or, or differentiation, I should say, of papal primacy as, as the leader of the Church. Uh, number five of the seven is a big one, um, Gavin, uh, the, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. We see the Eucharist from the words of consecration onwards at the Mass, as transubstantiated, uh, through the miracle of transubstantiation, they are no longer ordinary bread and wine, but truly, really, and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so we have the doctrine of the real presence, and the, the Protestants do not. The Protestants either see it merely a symbol, still bread and wine, merely symbol of Christ's body and blood, or in a consubstantiation doctrine, like the Lutherans do, they see they see the 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 communion elements uh, both as bread and wine and as the body and blood of Christ which the catholic church teaches no it's either one or the other jesus said this is my body this is my blood uh, and also at capernaum in john chapter 6 when he gives the eucharistic bread of life discourse he had many disciples leave him that day because of the eucharistic doctrine and what does he do? Does he say to those disciples that start walking away, hey, hey, c- come back, come back, you, you misunderstood me, I'm speaking in a spiritual sense here. No, he didn't do that. Instead, he turns to the twelve and says, what about you twelve? Will you also go? Will you also leave me? In other words, he didn't, he didn't uh, back up on his words in John chapter 6, okay? Uh, the sixth area of the seven, Gavin, is, is the sacraments. We believe in seven sacraments. Most Protestant churches only practice two of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which they don't see as the Eucharist, the body and blood, I just explained that, but they would consider the Lord's Supper a sacrament, along with baptism. We have seven sacraments. We have three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, two sacraments of healing, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, 
and the sacrament of confession for body and soul healing. And then there's two sacraments of union, which are at the service of communion to the populaces of the world, and that would be matrimony and holy orders, where the priesthood comes from, diaconate, priesthood, and uh, episcopacy, uh, the, the bishops. Those are the three levels of the sacrament of holy orders, a diaconate, uh, presbyterate, and episcopate. And then seven, we could say, Gavin, that the Marian dogmas and veneration of the saints are uh, an area of differentiation between Protestant and, and Protestantism and Catholicism. Catholics do not worship the saints like many Protestants believe we do. We venerate them. Uh, only God receives worship, latria, uh, in the Latin from the Greek, huh? latria, worship, quote-unquote. Uh, uh, dulia is veneration. That's another Greek term. Dulia. It's veneration, not worship. And then hyperdulia simply means in the Greek the greatest of veneration, and that's the Blessed Virgin Mary. So God alone, the three divine persons, receive latria, worship, properly speaking, worship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. Hyperdulia, the greatest of veneration, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And dulia is the veneration of the saints and angels, I would add. Uh, so again, those are the seven areas. I hope that helps you out. That's a great question uh, to be asking. Um, uh, understanding the Bible, understanding the Church, uh, the Pope and his leadership, understand the office as, unbroken, as, un, as an unbroken succession, going back to Peter, um, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, uh, the seven sacraments versus two, for the most part, uh, the Protestants have two, and uh, the Marian dogmas and, wor and, and veneration of the saints would be another area. So I hope that helps you out, Gavin. That's a great question. Thank you so much. The main or primary differ uh, differences between Protestantism as, and Catholicism as two main bodies of Christianity. We've got a great liturgy tonight. Start the new year with prayer to make atonement for the past year with EWTN's massive reparation and the vigil of the solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God. They'll be live from the chapel right here at EWTN tonight at midnight Eastern time on EWTN television and radio. Next up is Maryland in Omaha, Nebraska, a first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Merry Christmas, Maryland. You're on with Father Wade. Well, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year early. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have, hi, guys. I have a very good friend who seems well-versed in um, Scripture and in the Catholic Church, been a lifelong member. And recently he said it's been disproved um, that the re uh, Caesar did not set out a request for census. And I wondered if you could answer to that, because it's impossible for me to say, yeah. oh, that's not true. <laughs> okay, well, the simple answer from Father Wade Menezes would be that I put Scripture above a recent study or discovery because of what the Catholic faith teaches me about sacred Scripture. It's one of the three primary legs of the three-legged stool of which we receive the articles of faith to believe in and to give religious assent to, to put ourselves in the path of salvation so that we can work out our salvation with filial fear before the triune Godhead. Uh, without God, I can't, but without me, God won't, St. Catherine of Siena says. And as St. Augustine says as well, the God who willed to create you without you does not will to save you without you. So Father Wade has to use his intellect and will to seek out the truth, in other words. I'm using myself 
myself as an example. So I'm going to place sacred scripture above a recent study or discovery by mere man, because Dei Verbum, who I quoted uh, for Barb at the beginning of the hour when she was asking what's a good text to learn more about scripture on, uh, the document from the Second Vatican Council, the first one issued, uh, or excuse me, I believe it was the second one issued after the one on the sacred liturgy, um, tells us everything there is to know about what we believe in scripture. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, uh, we we are given the correlation uh, for the date of the nativity of Jesus to the census of Quirinius. And uh, we're told that in those days a decree went out from, from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered, and that this was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. This, these are words from the great Christmas pro- proclamation that's read before Mass begins, at the midnight mass, or the mass at night, which can begin technically as early as 10 p.m., uh, but the mass at night, huh? Uh, that's an option to read that beautiful, beautiful Christmas proclamation, which goes through uh, the historical facts of who was reigning and when, and how this led to the uh, revelation of the Messiah in our midst through his own birth. So personally, I'm not aware of any recent um, uh, study that says otherwise, uh, and, and so I'm not versed to argue about it per se, uh, Marilyn, but I, I will tell you that as a, not, only, not only as a Catholic priest, but as a Catholic, I'm going to look to see what sacred scripture says and how the Church upholds that teaching. And uh, the historical basis is there in scripture, and, and in my mind's eye, and my faith ascent, uh, religious ascent, it, it cannot be contradicted. And I'll tell you, another in those sorts of situations— Another great uh, and charitable, to some degree, tack to take is to ask that person, where did you hear that? And, you know, let them, let them... who are making the claim support yeah. the claim they're making. That's something that, that Dr. Anders always <laughs> says is a very good thing to do. Hear them out. Uh, and chances are you're going to watch them stumble over their own words, especially if you're able to come back and say, yeah, but the Church teaches this, and the Church says this about upholding Scripture, and Scripture reveals this, which we read at the, as the Christmas proclamation at every midnight Mass, before the Mass begins. I mean, it, it's just, everything's just right there. Uh, it, there's, no, there's no room for confusion, and, and we need to watch out that, that, that things like that can make us stumble. Thank you, Marilyn. We appreciate that phone call. We received a text from Anthony, and he wants to know if you can explain apparitions— uh, such as, you know, apparitions of Our Lady or Our Lord, as she appeared to St. Faustina and others, should the laity believe them? Sure, that's a great question. Um, the, the Church, especially if the apparition continues to go on for several times, uh, Lourdes, for example, was 18 times, Our Lady appearing at Fatima to the three shepherd children was uh, six different times, with the 18 times at Lourdes it was with one seer, Bernadette Subaru, St. Bernadette. So the Church is going to look at such apparitions, and once they cease by by admission of the seer or the visionary, once they cease, the Church will study them and make a, a, a sincere judgment on whether they are worthy of belief or not worthy of belief. If they are worthy of belief to be of supernatural origin or not worthy of belief to be su- of supernatural origin. But it's only once they cease that the Church will uh, really uh, make the decision. Her investigation into the apparitions can begin while the apparitions are still taking place. We see this with Lourdes, and we see this now with Medjugorje. All that said, even if the apparition is approved by the Church, and it's usually approved by the local ordinary, the local bishop, 
even if it's approved, it's still a part of private revelation, meaning that you're not bound to believe in it for your salvation. That said, when it's a message like Fatima and the importance of world peace and the importance of praying the rosary, which focuses on the mysteries of Christ, you'd be foolish not to believe in it, but you don't have to believe in it. Father, would you, Great leave question. With, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with you all this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Happy New Year, everybody. We will be back at it again um, tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.